0: Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA Podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, good morning and welcome to real life. I'm so excited to get to spend this Sunday morning here with you. If you're new to real life, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And this is kind of a bittersweet Sunday for me, because this will actually be uh, my last official sermon uh, that I'll give as a pastor here at the church. As we announced last Sunday, I will soon be leaving our church family to move off to Dallas, uh, because I have uh, actually been given the opportunity to accept a position as a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And I'm really excited to get to go off to the seminary and to uh, really focus in on leadership development and teaching and training of future pastors and the next generation of leaders. But I'm gonna miss all of you so, so much. It's been such an honor to get to spend time with you um, as one of your pastors. You know, I've been here from the very first month of our church existence, and so it's kind of bittersweet now for me as I think about what's next, um, but just know that I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines. You know, when I was a kid, um, I used to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with my family. Um, You know, I'm gonna miss the beach a lot. Uh, They don't have beaches in Dallas, and the ones that you can drive to in Texas, no one wants to go to. So when I go to the beach, I'll be flying back to Southern California. Um, but I'm gonna miss going to the beach. And I imagine that uh, like many of you, uh, during COVID-19 it's the only thing open. So I've spent a lot of time at the beach and a lot of time you know, in the sand. And when I was a kid in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, my family would go down for the summers and my mom would drag us out all day. And so me and my brother would entertain ourselves by building sandcastles. And as a kid, I would try to build the biggest and the best sandcastle. And I would have, you know, turrets and towers and I had multiple layers and courtyards. And I, one time I even made a moat and carried bucket after bucket of water to the sandcastle. Me and my brother were, were competing on who have the, have the best sandcastle. And I'll never forget one day I said, no, mine is the best sandcastle. And then my brother who's six years younger, he said, no, mine is the best sandcastle. And I said, no, mine. And he said, Mine. And then he said, "I'll show you." And he comes and he dives in headfirst into my sandcastle and says, "Now, mine is better." You know, and then I think we wrestled and, you know, fought in the sand because that's what brothers do. But you know, when I look out at it, the world around us, when you look at the world that's going on right in our backyard, it feels like we're building sandcastles. You see everything in the world seems to be falling apart. People that, you know, are asking, "Where is the glue that's holding together?" are seemingly disintegrating pieces of society. You know, it's, it's almost like everything is falling apart. We're trying to reopen schools. We're trying to reopen restaurants. We're trying to reopen churches. We're trying to reopen all sectors of our society. And yet it's just continuing to fall down. And we begin to wonder, what is going on? We're, we, all we do is look at the news and we see headlines that disturb us. We have setbacks. We have all sorts of things that are causing us to just not be able to advance forward. And sometimes that can cause us to kind of end up in kind of a, a dark place. But here for the last couple of weeks at Real Life, we've been talking about this idea of essential because the church is essential. And for thousands of years, the church has been essential. When people are looking for grace, where do they turn to? The church. When people are looking for hope, where do they turn to? The church. People who are looking for purpose, where might they find that? The church. You see, the church is essential. And today we're going to be talking about what I call essential leadership. Because I'm just going to cut to the chase. You see, in our world today, we need better leaders. Hands down, we need better leadership. From the top all the way to the bottom, we need better leaders in our world today. And I believe that the church has the ability to step up and to provide authentic, transformative, and servant-minded leadership to the world. To meet people right where they are. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of essential leadership. When I moved out to California five years ago, I packed up my 60 inch TV and all of my books, all 238 of them, into my four door sedan with my clothes, and I drove from Dallas. LA. And I will never forget pulling into the driveway and some of the middle schoolers came by the house to help me unpack my car. And so they're pulling out suitcases and then they pull out my TV. And then underneath all of that are 200 some books. And I'll never forget one of the middle schoolers as lugging books out of my car, like, what did you do, Kevin? Did you bring an entire library? I was like, yeah, you know what? That's, I can't, what do you say? You know, I've just started a PhD program. I love books. I'm kind of a nerd. And, uh, and so that I, had all these books and so then the other day when I was telling the college students about my departure and we were reminiscing on some memories of real life it was funny because one of them said Kevin I'll never forget when you first came here I, I looked at you and I thought this guy's a nerd. They, they, they hired the wrong guy. The church made a mistake. You know, this is never gonna work. I'm never conne- gonna connect with this guy. But I'm thankful that you guys stuck with me and I stuck with you because it's been a really fun journey. And, uh, and even though I am a kind of a nerd at heart, it's been super fun getting to serve with you here at Real Life LA. But I've been thinking a lot as I've been packing up all of those books and putting them into boxes and now I have even more. And as I prepare to ship those books off to my new office in Dallas, you know, I now have empty bookcase at home. And I've been thinking about this idea of of a bookcase. And so this morning, I want to ask you, what is on your bookshelf? And we're going to look at the idea of a shelf this morning, and we're going to talk about essential leadership. And that's going to be our word for this morning. So I want to kick us off with my first leadership principle centered on this letter S. So our first leadership principle is sponsored by the letter S. S stands for service. You know, to demonstrate this idea of service, I, I brought a hammer And I know that for many of you, when you see me holding a hammer, it seems to be kind of an interesting idea. I'm not really the guy to go, you know, just hang out at the Home Depot or, you know, engage in a lot of, you know, handyman projects. Anytime I need to get something done, I just YouTube it, um, and sometimes that works. But some of my greatest memories um, are involving a hammer. And some of my greatest memories here at Real Life involve the idea of service. Because when we serve other people, we're giving ourselves away. And so I'll never forget taking the middle schoolers down to San Diego and getting up at five o'clock in the morning and packing out the 15 passenger van and driving down to to St. Vincent de Paul's and to serve thousands of homeless people meals at 5 a.m. in the morning. And then we came back and did it for lunch and we came back and did it for dinner and we did that for days on end. I'll never forget serving with some of you using a hammer to build houses in Mexico or to build churches in Tijuana. I'll never forget, you know, rebuilding and repainting uh, volunteer centers and community centers and churches and homes in Chicago and Austin and San Francisco and Houston and, and LA. I'll never forget the memories of, of, of building and painting and helping people further their lives. I'll never forget serving on the south side of Chicago with some of you as we repainted a lady's house who could not afford to do so herself. I'll never forget last year in Houston as we as we helped uh, revitalize an area that had been devastated by a hurricane and going in in full hazmat suits because you know this home had been underwater and going in and tearing down the walls and rebuilding. And you are such a generous church. You are such a generous people and it's been such an honor to get to serve alongside of you. And I know that you'll continue to do great things with that. But I was thinking about this idea of service and when we think about service, I think of Robert Greenleaf. Robert Greenleaf was the CEO of AT&T and is the father of servant leadership. And he said this, he said, great leaders are servants first. You want to be a great leader, you got to be a servant First. You see, servant leadership goes against every fiber of our being. It goes against our individualistic mindset. It goes against our existential beings. It goes against the social fabric of our society because we are built to take care of ourselves. It's survival of the fittest. That is ingrained in our DNA. And so when we think about service, this is something that often goes uh, counterintuitive to our very beings. But we see this in our society all the time. We see it with kids. So kids, you know, you go play out on the playground, we see kids playing king of the hill, right? Who can be on top of the hill the longest? Who can remain on top? We see this with with students and college students who are constantly vying for the very best grades and GPAs and, and top spots in universities and colleges. We see this for people who are out on the job hunt as they try to get the best job with the highest paycheck. We see people you know, fighting over other people to get the best opportunities in life. We see this in adults who sometimes find themselves climbing the corporate ladder to achieve success and recognition and fame or to have a better car, to have a better house, to have a better life. And that is ingrained in who we are. It's just a part of our lives. But when Jesus comes, he had something different in mind. And so we're gonna read out of Mark 10, 45. It says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come as this big king that said, come and serve me, I am the greatest. He actually would would, would remove his robes and get down on his feet and wash his disciples' feet and heal people of their disease. He was constantly serving other people. And I want you to think about your platform in life. Jesus had a platform, and so do you. In your life, your platform might be your your favorite class. Maybe it's history or science or geography. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's where you go to work every day. Maybe your platform is a sport. Maybe it's baseball or football or soccer or volleyball or dance. Maybe your platform is something that you really care about or a hobby Maybe your platform is your running group or your biking group or your hiking group or your mom's group or your small group. You see, we all have a platform. Every day when we go out into society, we go up on our platform and we engage other people because leadership is about influence and we can use our platforms to influence other people. And let me tell you this, when you use your, your influence in your platforms to serve others, you will undeniably, unequivocally change lives. And people might look at you weird. They might go, what's wrong with that guy? You know, all of a sudden he's so kind. All of a sudden she's so loving. All of a sudden she cares way more about me. All of a sudden they're asking me what, I can, what, what they can pray for. People might look at you kind of funny because all of a sudden you're treating them differently because you're always serving them. And that's what a servant-minded leader does. They serve others. You wanna know if you're a, a servant leader? Just take a look at your appointments. Look at your calendar. Look at your to-do list. Is it centered on you? You see, in our neighborhood, a lot of us are, are, are more preoccupied with baseball than we are with you know, becoming a man of God. Some of us are more preoccupied with our jobs or our careers than we are with serving the neighborhood around us. Some of us are more preoccupied with our friend groups or our squad than we are with those that are not in those circles. And when we think as servant-minded leaders, we begin to think like Jesus and we begin to change lives. You see, when Jesus went out into the world, he just managed his calendars with divine appointments, Meaning when he would engage someone who had a need or a disease or an ailment or were struggling or were depressed or were lonely, he would he would approach them and he would meet those needs by serving them. And Jesus serves us by dying on a cross, giving his life as a ransom, so that we could be exalted. And that is a, such a cool thing, because it's found nowhere else in sectors of society. So S service. But you want to serve, you're going to need humility, which brings us to a letter H. Humility. This idea of humility is an important thing in our world today. I brought with me a camera. It's like the Model A of the cameras. It's super old. This is actually one of my great grandparents. It, it winds up. I honestly don't know how to use it, but it's a camera. And, uh, and, you know, if you know me well, you know that I love taking a good photo. You know, I'm like most millennials. We, we like to take selfies. We like to take photos. Um, you know, some of you have been with me on mission trips or retreats or camps. And sometimes, you know, we go up to Forest Home. We'll go on big hikes. You know, we'll hike like four miles up to the top of the mountain. A couple years ago, we did that with middle school. And I'll never forget some of the sixth grade girls. They were like, we're going to go on a hike for miles to take a picture Yes, absolutely. We're going to do that because I want to take a picture on top of the mountain overlooking, you know, the, you know, the, the ridge and the sun. And, and then we're going to put a filter on there and we're going to put it on Instagram and it's going to be amazing. And your mom's going to love it back home. And so we, we went out hiking and it was hot and it was treacherous and they were complaining the whole time. And I'm like, just trust me, the picture's going to be amazing. And we get to the top and I go, look how cool the view is. And they were like, this was not worth it. Can we go to the pool? Uh, But I got my picture and I love a good picture. You know, did you know the average millennial actually take 25,000 selfies in the course of their lifetime? That's incredible, right? But if you're under the age of 23, so that's you. If you're under the age of 23, I'm talking to you right now. You guys are a different generation. Gen Z is the TikTok generation, right? So whereas millennials, we like to post photos of, you know, our life and we like to show people this perfect image of ourselves. Gen Z, you guys just don't care. You're out there on TikTok doing the the, the woe and you're doing all sorts of dancing and you're, you know, you know, just making fool of yourself on social media. That's fine. You do you. Uh, but the other day I thought, you know, I'll, I'll get a sense of what this is like. I downloaded TikTok and I found myself dancing on top of my car, doing a little dance. And then I realized I'm making a, a fool of myself. <laughs> I'm going to be the only professor at Dallas Seminary with a TikTok. So about that. But nonetheless, you know, we have all sorts of generational things that bind us together. But here's the issue is that in our world, we like to post pictures of ourselves and we like to put this image of ourselves out there. It's this perfected image of who we are and it isn't a humbling perspective. It's not teaching others humility. C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We as Christian leaders... Not only need to serve others, but we also need to have humility. And I'd like to look at somebody who had humility in his life. John the Baptist was, was the, the precursor to Jesus. He came and he preached the message of Jesus, and he said, "The Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming." And he, he baptized people and he prepared them for Jesus' arrival. And we pick up the story in John 3:26. Jesus has now come, and John is still in the picture, and we see his disciples. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going over to him, right? They're not hanging out with you, they're hanging out with him. And to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can can testify that I said from the beginning, right, that I am not the Messiah, but just sent ahead of him. And the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. And then John the Baptist says this, he must become greater. I must become less. Christ must become greater. Kevin must become less. Christ must become greater. You must become less. Paul in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. If you do that in the world around you, people are going to look at you funny because very few people do that in the world today. But see, if you're going to have service and humility in your life, that's going to lead you to do something pretty cool. And that's the letter E, which stands for empowerment. The, the third principle I want to, to talk about today is this idea of empowerment. And with this, I have a set of keys. I have my church keys and my tile and my real-life keychain. I have a set of keys. I want you to think about your first set of keys. You know, chances are your first set of keys probably were your car keys, Dr. Kara Powell, uh, who authored the book Growing Young, she's a professor out at Fuller Seminary, and she says this, she was telling a story about a kid named Stretch. Stretch had just turned 16. You know, some of you listening today might soon be turning 16, or maybe you just turned 16. And she was telling the story of this 16-year-old kid named Stretch who received, for the very first time, a set of car keys. His family took him to the DMV. He got his license, and they came home, and they said, all right, here you go. Here's the keys. Go out. Have an amazing day. And he was astonished because he said, for the first time, I felt freedom and I felt responsibility all wrapped up in one. So he gets in the car and he starts it up and he's like, where do I go now? You know, I would probably went to like In-N-Out or something like that. But he decided to go to church because he was really involved in his church youth group. So he wanted to go show off the car and the, his license to all, you know, the youth pastor and everybody back at church. So he drives into the, into the church parking lot and, and outside was the children's pastor. And so she says, Stretch, oh my gosh, it's so cool. You have your license. And he's like, he was telling her about it and they were talking and she says, you know, we're actually kind of short on childcare workers. How would you like to come after school? You know, you have your license, you have your car, come hang out with us after school. We need some help with the kids. You know, you can organize some games and, you know, and hang out here at the church. And he said, sure, that sounds awesome. I'd love to. And so she says, all right, well, we're going to need to give you some keys. And so she hands him a pair of keys. And he said, what? I get the keys? And she said, yeah, there's going to be nights where, you know, it gets late and we're locking up and you're going to need your own set of keys. And Stretch was astonished. You know, the senior pastor had keys. His youth pastor had keys. His small group leader even had a key. And now he had a key. And he was speechless because it was such a powerful moment. He even later got the key to the soda machine so he could get as many Mountain Dews as he possibly wanted. It was an empowering moment for Stretch because essential leaders are relentless in the way that they give away their keys of power, access, and authority. Essential leaders are relentless in giving away all of their power, access, and authority. And in the Bible, there was a leader named Paul who did the same exact thing. See, Paul, in in the road to Damascus, was blinded by the light and, and, and God came to him and said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he, in that moment, had received this level of empowerment to come and be a follower of Jesus and to eventually go out and change people's lives. And Paul had a rough life, but he would go from village to village and he, he endured jail and shipwrecks and all sorts of, uh, of things in his life. But the one thing he did was he helped people, he served them with humility, and he empowered young leaders. You see, for Paul, he, he engaged a guy named Timothy Timothy was probably 15, 16 years old, an adolescent male. And he, he encountered him in a village and he said, come and follow me and be a leader. And he did. And we see in Philippians chapter two, verse 19, Paul talking about Timothy and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else By him, who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone else looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Just like Paul entrusted Timothy with a set of keys and empowered him to go out and be a leader himself as a young person. What keys are you intentionally handing off in your life? Because all of us, as adults, have a duty and a responsibility as essential leaders in the church to hand away our keys of access, power, and authority. Last year, I completed my PhD dissertation research over in the United Kingdom. And prior to doing my, my research, I, I had done a literature review of all of the concepts related to servant leadership, empowerment, and engagement, right? The church struggles with engagement in the world today. People don't frequently have a desire to engage in, in things related to the church, and so this sometimes is a struggle for church leaders. And so I set out on this journey to, to do my dissertation research on what might help servant leaders engage people around them. And so I began to scour the literature and I found that in hospitals and and in education and, and in business, servant leaders were using empowerment to engage people around them. And that was driving the engagement up and it led to greater autonomy and job satisfaction and the ability that they were making an impact in the world around them. When empowerment is used, it drives up engagement. And so I began to think, I wonder if this works in the church. I wonder if this would work in England. And so I, I go to England and I, I drove thousands of miles and I ended up interviewing 148 young people, young people of Gen Z, those who are kind of 23 or, or younger. And I, and I began to ask them about their servant leaders and what they thought of them and their level of engagement in the church and their feelings of empowerment. And here's what I found. There's, there's, a, there's a slide that'll pop up. Is that servant leaders can engage other people. That allows for engagement. But servant leaders who use empowerment to engage other people end up making a bigger impact. And so as I went across the British countryside, I found time and time again that when young people felt empowered, they had a greater level of engagement in the church. And that was because of a servant-minded leader who had humility and spent time empowering young people. When I look out at some of you, I see a lot of young people in this church and from the very beginning, we said we want young people to feel empowered, to lead, and to serve. And I just want you to know that I am so, so proud. If you're a student watching today, I could not be more proud of the way that you guys serve and lead in your life, at your schools, and here at the church. And I'm thankful for all of the adults who've said from the beginning, We want to empower young people. And so let's keep doing that because that makes all the difference in helping young people remain engaged with the church. Then we come to principle four. The letter L stands for love. When we think about love, a lot of times we think about feelings or emotions, particularly in the church, we think about this idea of kind of an emotional love. But I have a bucket here today And this this object of a bucket symbolizes the fact that all of us carry around invisible buckets. And we're constantly in this process of filling up other people's buckets. Some of us drain out other people's buckets. But when we have essential leadership, we actually go around helping people get their buckets filled up with love. Take Southwest Airlines, for example. When they started in the 1960s, they had a lot of competition. And so the leaders of Southwest Airlines said, what are we going to do to be set apart? And they said, we're going to love others. And they said, from the beginning, we're going to love our employees. We're gonna care for them. We're gonna make sure that they love coming to work every day. We're gonna make sure that they they know that this is the happiest and the most joyous place to work. And we're gonna provide them the best experience as an employee that they possibly can get. And when they love coming to work every day, so will our customers. Because our employees are gonna be so awesome. And it worked. It worked. To this day, Southwest Airlines has, has navigated lots of conflict, lots of disasters, and, and 9-11, and economic downturns, and they have never not turned a profit because they cared about other people. That was a founding value from the very beginning. Tony Robbins says this, satisfied people will go away, but raving fans will stay. Satisfied people will just simply go away, but when you have raving fans... They stay forever. And that's what we do in the church. Now, we're not attracting customers in the church, but what we're doing is we're creating fans that rave about Jesus everywhere they go. Because Jesus, when he comes to us, he gives us this message in Matthew 10, verse seven. He says, as you go, proclaim this message, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, and so freely give. We have received the love of God abundantly in our life. And therefore, when Jesus says, go out into the world, heal the sick, cast out demons, and care for people by filling up their bucket— you see, relationships are difficult in today's world because words have become emojis and conversations have become texting and our feelings are now you know so status updates and tweets. Relationships are breaking down because all of our buckets are constantly being emptied. But we as, as the church must go out as essential leaders to love others and fill up their bucket. And then last but not least, our fifth and final principle, F, which stands for faith. And on this shelf, I've got a rock. It's kind of too, too heavy for me to pick up, but there's a rock. And rocks are viewed as foundations, right? We often build things out of rock. And this was, a, this was an image that was used in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, God's people had been enslaved in Egypt. And then they ended up, you know, going out of Egypt by God's providence. And then they end up in the wilderness for 40 years, They were wondering and they were tired and they were hungry and they were hot and they complained and sometimes they loved God and sometimes they forgot God and then they would love God and then they would forget God. And it was a mess. But God said, you're gonna get to the promised land. I promise you, I will take care of you as my people. And so they get there, they get to the promised land and all they have to do is cross the Jordan River. But what happens when they get there? We're gonna pick up the story in Joshua 3, verse 15. When they get to the Jordan. It says, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. It's flooded. They can't cross it. But as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It heaped a great distance away at a town called Adam. And while the water was flowing down to the Sea of Ereba, that is the Dead Sea, the water was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho and the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This river that they arrive, all they have to do is cross over and the river parts and they begin to walk but I imagine that that was a scary moment as, the, as, the, as the, the ground began to dry up. And as they began to walk into the middle, they probably were like, any second now, these waters are gonna come rushing down and we're gonna be floating away. And maybe in your life, you feel like that. Maybe you're starting to, to you know, you wanna cross the river, but it seems scary. And so something's keeping you back. You know something ahead of you needs to happen. You know you need to do something important, but something's stopping you because it's standing in your way. Or maybe you've made that first step and you're out in the middle of the river river, and you're on dry ground, but it's still a little shaky and you're afraid it might become muddy again and the waters may come and just take you out. Maybe you're nervous or you're scared about something going on in your life. Maybe you feel like you're about to be overwhelmed. Trust this, Israel passed on dry ground. God was faithful then. He's faithful with you right now and he will forever be faithful in the future. What happens after that? Joshua 4, 21. Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. See, as they crossed the river, the the priests, they went and grabbed some rocks. And Joshua said, one day, your grandchildren are going to look at these rocks, and they're going to ask, what are these rocks? And you're going to say, Israel crossed on dry ground. Real life, what are our rocks? You see, our rocks are a myriad of things, but we unexpectedly put down a rock when we launched the church in a park. We put down a rock when we launched a brand new student ministry in an abandoned warehouse called the Packing House. We put down a rock every time we baptized a kid or a teenager or an adult. We put down a rock when we would go down to the beach and do beach baptisms. We put down a rock every time we built a house in Mexico or built a church in Tijuana. We, we put down rocks when we moved into this building and when we painted the walls and we, and we excavated and we put down new carpet, we put down rocks. We put down rocks every time we sent a kid or a student up to Forest home to hear about Jesus for the first time. We put down rocks when our seniors would gather around in the courtyard with their brown bags and their Bibles in the summertime to read the scriptures. We put down rocks when we've seen people be healed of diseases and things going on in their life. We've put down a lot of rocks at real life and one day our kids and our grandkids, your kids, your grandkids are gonna look back and they're gonna go, what are these rocks? What do they mean? And they're gonna be told the leaders of real life in the very beginning were faithful to God. As their faithful God, they put down rocks in obedience to God because they knew that Israel crossed on dry ground. And that is a powerful powerful story that God is always with you. God is always with us because Israel crossed on dry ground. When you look at these things, service, humility, empowerment, love and faith. We see that these are the five things that go on our bookshelf as leaders. You Are a leader right where you are. I want you to know that if you're a kid under the the age of sixth grade, if you're a kid sitting at home right now, I want you to go into the comment section of Facebook or YouTube or whatever you're watching, and I want you to type out, "I am a leader." Turn to your mom or your dad and say, "I am a leader." Mom, Dad, Tell tell your older brother or your younger sister, tell your siblings, "I am a leader." If you're a student, I want you to turn to your parent and say, I am a leader. Go to the comment section, students, right now, and type in that comment box, I am a leader. Because you are. Kids, you are leaders at your elementary school. Students, you are leaders at your middle school or your high school. College students, you are leaders. If you're a college student right now or a young adult, I want you to say to yourself, I am a leader. Put in the comment section, I am a leader. You're leaders everywhere you go. And last but not least, adults. All of you are leaders. At your jobs, at your workplaces, everywhere you go and hang out, at the gym, with your friends, at the restaurants, you're leaders. Go to the comment section. I want you to type that out. I am a leader. Because we are the church. And the church provides leaders to a lost and a broken world. And I'm so proud to be a part of this church family. And even as I go off to Dallas, I'm excited to call Real Life Still my my church home because it's been an incredible place to do life and ministry with all of you. And I know that your best days are, are, are clearly ahead of you. And as a church, you will do great things As servant leaders who go out with humility to empower young people and the world out of love and in faith to provide essential leadership to the world at large. Here's the thing. Leaders are not born. Leaders don't have certain traits or behaviors or personalities. Leaders aren't just powerful people. Leaders aren't always the people that you expect to be leaders. Because all of you have the power and the potential to be leaders right where you are. You are leaders. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, as we, as we think this morning about this idea of essential leadership, Lord, you are empowering us as people of God, your, your servants in the world to go out and to serve other people like your son, Jesus, served. You are calling us to lives of humility and grace, calling us to go out and show people that we are nothing and that Jesus is everything. And Lord, you're calling us to empower the people around us, to empower young people. And so Lord, I pray that you would put on our hearts right now, maybe somebody in our life, a child or a teenager or even another adult or a coworker or family member, that you want us to empower, that we can hand off our keys to as Christian leaders and say you are loved and you are needed in this race of the church. And God, you're calling us to, to love other people in the way that we engage them with, the, with our lives and with our presence and with our platforms. And Lord, out of faith, call us closer to yourself. Call us nearer to you. For it's in your honor in your glory that we live and we breathe. Lord God, allow us to go out from our homes and from our places wherever we are right now with this idea that we are called to leadership. And you have went before us, you go with us and you'll be behind us every step of the way. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at real life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit Reallife.LA and tap Give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.